everybody. Welcome to Props and Hops. I'm Matt Landis, and in this episode, we'll work through the NFL Week 10 board through the lens of the best football gambling podcasts. We'll also talk some beer and break down some bets. So to kick it off, let's dive into what we're hearing. Loud noises! As always, this week I've listened to the most prominent handicappers across the best NFL betting podcasts, and this episode will feature insights from 12 bettors across 6 podcasts. The Dream Preview was a tight 2 hours this week, so in all it was only about 9 hours worth of listening. I'll distill that down to about half an hour of the most actionable takeaways, plus some original analysis. That'll lead us to 6 bets across the point spread, total, teaser, and prop markets. So let's get the ball rolling and run through the Week 10 board. And the first game on the board, Washington at Detroit, ironically off the board as I record this Friday morning Pacific time. There's some questions around Matthew Stafford's status. RJ Bell and Steve Fezzik did note on the Dream Preview, they like the Lions minus four if Stafford's confirmed in, and that line's available. Up next, Houston at Cleveland. This line's also off the board at the moment because the Browns had a player test positive, but reports indicate the game's still on, so we'll go ahead and break it down. The last line we saw how the Browns favored, some minus threes out there with extra vig, mostly minus three and a halfs with reduced vig, and a total of 47 and a half. We had four likes on the Browns. Those came from Fezzik, Matthew Holt, and RJ, making Cleveland a unanimous pick on the Dream Preview. Rob Pizzola on the Matchbook podcast also liking the Browns. Looking at Fezzik's handicap, he noted there should be 20 to 25 mile per hour wins, and that could be a big advantage for Cleveland. I'll note that 20 mile per hour threshold is key to wind affecting the passing game, magnifies the importance of the ground game, and Fezzik notes the Texans are a dome team. They prefer to pass the ball. Their rush offense could especially be limited this week with running back David Johnson likely out. Meanwhile, the Browns likely get Nick Chubb back, and guard Wyatt Teller also likely back in play to fortify the offensive line. Matthew Holt also noted on the Browns' defense, their line could be getting a boost up front, with Miles Garrett likely healthier off the bye. On a more macro level, RJ noted the market's been too slow to properly downgrade the Texans for their performance this season, and Rob likes the Browns because they should be healthier off their bye. He thinks this line should be four or four and a half. Overall, I like the logic from the consensus here, and I'm on Cleveland. Those minus threes at minus 125 we're still seeing out there, those are on the outer range of value. I'd expect more Browns money to come in if and when Chubb is confirmed as a go. And quick note, playing on or off the three, that's worth about 18 cents. So I make minus three good up to minus 125. I also like the Browns laying three and a half at minus 105 or better. Next game on the board, Jacksonville at Green Bay, Packers laying 13.5, total 49.5, and And on the Dream Preview, Fezzik said he likes the under. The first point in his handicap, the weather, we could see 25 to 30 mile per hour winds at Lambeau Field on Sunday, and the second point, scheduling. Both teams so far this season have had schedules skewing toward high-scoring teams, and that means the scoring in their games has been inflated. We could see some natural regression when the Jaguars and Packers go head-to-head. Up next, Philadelphia at the Giants. Eagles laying three with some extra vig or three and a half with reduced vig, total 44 and a half. And we have four likes on the Eagles. Fezzik, Drew on the Matchbook and Deep Dive podcasts, Rob, as well as Adam Chernoff from the Simple Handicap. One like for the Giants, that was Matthew Holt. And looking at the Eagles side of things, Fezzik took them at minus three when the Even Money podcast recorded on Tuesday. Then on Wednesday, when the Dream Preview recorded, he took them at three and a half in a crossfire with Matthew Holt. His handicap, the Giants are overrated off a misleading win last week. They went plus five in turnovers and were lucky to escape with a narrow victory in Washington. Also, Philadelphia should be healthier off the bye. Rob and Drew echoed this sentiment, and Adam added to it, saying that if and when the Friday injury report confirms the Eagles will have a lot of players returning from injury, we could see this line jump. Drew also noted that from a matchup perspective, the Eagles' defense should have the ability to dominate the Giants' offense. Rob echoed this sentiment as well. 
When it came to Matthew Holt's breakdown of the Giants, he said the Eagles have a weak offensive line, Carson Wentz is committing a lot of turnovers, and he noted that Miles Sanders is questionable, but I'm not sure that works in the Giants' favor because it's looking like Sanders is going to return. He got in a full practice on Thursday. So I'm going to follow the consensus and take the Eagles here. Similar to the Browns line, I like the Eagles at minus 3 up to minus 125, or minus 3.5 at minus 105 or better. I see it as a chance to fade the Giants. Not only did they go plus 5 in turnovers last week, as Fezzik noted, but they were also outgained by more than three yards per play by Washington. Washington also only went one for three in the red zone. The Giants are due for some negative regression. And on the Eagles side of things, the injury news seems to be moving in a positive direction. Next game on the board, Tampa Bay at Carolina. Bucks laying five and a half or six. You're probably going to have to lay a little extra vig to get them at five and a half. Total 50 and a half. And we had a lot of action in this one. Two likes on the Bucks. TA from the Sharp Angles podcast, as well as Rob. Five likes on the Panthers. Fezzik, Holt, the Hitman, and RJ making it a dream preview consensus, plus Ross Tucker from the Even Money podcast. We also had two likes on the over, Rob and Suma on the Matchbook podcast. The over in this one was Suma's best bet. Looking at the Tampa Bay side, TA laid four and a half. That's a good number, and it might be an iffy bet for him at the current price. He said Tampa Bay had a huge absence last week without star guard Ali Marpet on the offensive line. He's expected back this week to fortify things up front. And Marpet's a top five guard according to Pro Football Focus. He hasn't allowed a sack all season. And Tom Brady, most susceptible to pressure up the middle. The Saints wreaked havoc up the middle last week. Marpet fills this gap in a big way against the Panthers. Rob laid five points with the Bucks, so he might also feel iffy about betting the current number, but he said Sunday Night Football showed us the Bucks at the bottom end of their range, and the Saints at the top end of their range, producing an outlier result that's drawn an overreaction in the marketplace. Continuing with Rob's breakdown on the game, looking at his take on the over, he says the Saints' defense is clearly better than the Panthers' defense. If we look at EPA per play or DVOA, the Saints' defense grades is about average, and the Panthers' defense comes in around the bottom quartile of the league. Suma shared a similar point, and Rob noted the Saints' defense last week. The key was getting pressure up the middle, just like TA said, and Carolina lacks the pieces to replicate that, and even if the Panthers did have the pieces, Marpet's return would make it a tough thing to repeat. Looking at Suma's breakdown on the over, again, this was his best bet. He says the Panthers' offense is potent. They rank 6th in EPA per play, 8th in EPA per dropback since Week 5, and I think Week 5 might be a fair starting point here. One month into the season for a lot of new faces, this reflects the Panthers' offensive stats once they've had a chance to build some cohesion. Suma also says the Bucks' defense is aggressive, and Carolina can exploit that aggression with some big plays. On the Panthers side of things, all the bets I heard in favor of the Panthers came at plus 4.5 to plus 5, so the lines moved against them, but that's likely related to the news of Christian McCaffrey being ruled out. Fezzik's handicap started with the Panthers' aggression, similar to Suma's point favoring the over, but Fezzik uses it to favor the Panthers' side of things. Matthew Holt agrees with that point, and the hitman said Teddy Bridgewater's been good against the Blitz this season, completing 71% of his passes and averaging 8 yards per attempt, and the Bucks, the most Blitz-heavy team in the NFL, according to the hitman. And even though RJ's on the Panthers as well, he pushed back on this point, saying Todd Bowles is known for creative Blitzes, so Bridgewater's stats may not apply when we look at the rest of the league blitzing compared to what he's likely going to see on Sunday. TA also noted that Bridgewater, when pressured this year, just 26th in QBR and 20th in yards per attempt, and the Bucks' defense, number one in pressure rate. Alright, and that'll do it for the early window. The late window this Sunday actually has more games than the early slate, 
I think a lot of that's due to the Masters, the NFL trying to schedule accordingly, but this could be a great experience for football viewers as well as golf viewers. Hopefully the NFL takes note and gives us a more even split of late games versus early games moving forward. That first game in the late window, Denver at Las Vegas, Raiders laying four total 50 and a half, and nothing on the side here, but we had six likes on the over, Rob, Suma, and Drew making it unanimous on the Matchbook podcast, plus Andy on the Deep Dive podcast, as well as Fezzik and Ross on the Even Money podcast. Rob's breakdown noted that 51 points is the average scoring output in NFL games this year. The Raiders have a good offense and a horrible defense. That makes them a clear over team. Drew, Andy, and Fezzik shared similar sentiment here. Suma also noted the Raiders were involved in a heavy win game against Cleveland a couple weeks ago, and that could be suppressing the total here. If we exclude that win game in Cleveland, the average total in Raiders games this year is over 60. And Fezzik shared a complimentary point. This game will be indoors, so weather's not going to be a concern. I want to note that all these likes were at 52 when the podcast recorded. The number is down to 50 and a half, so we might have some value here now unlocking 51, a key number, as a winning number for the over. But there's also the chance that somebody knows something we don't. So I like the consensus here, and I like the logic, but it's not a guarantee. I do like the over up to 52, but for a measured amount. Next game on the board, Buffalo at Arizona. Cardinals laying 2.5 with extra vig, total 56.5. One like on the Cardinals, Fezzik on the Dream Preview, and one like on the Bills, Matthew Holt from the Dream Preview. So we've got a crossfire going on here. The line was minus 1.5 when they recorded, so Fezzik seems to have gotten the better of the number. His handicap on the Cardinals, buying into the narrative that Arizona needs the game more. The Bills are sitting pretty in the AFC East, and I don't put stock in this, but I do like his second point better. We saw misleading results last week that favored the Bills and worked against against the Cardinals, and that could be providing some value on the Cardinals this week. Buffalo went plus four in turnovers in their win over Seattle last week. Meanwhile, the Cardinals outgained the Dolphins by well over a yard per play, and they still lost that game outright. Matthew Holt's angle on the Bills seems to boil down to not being a fan of Cliff Kingsbury's coaching and play calling, and he also notes the Cardinals' defense is overrated because they've played weak opposing quarterbacks. This marks a step up in class for them. And I gotta say, Josh Allen made me eat my words last week after I called his first month of the season a mirage. I'm still not sure it wasn't a mirage, but he has another good matchup in store for this Sunday. Up next, the Chargers at Miami. Dolphins laying one or one and a half, total 48 and a half, and this could be the first of many Herbert versus Tua showdowns. We might be in for some must-see TV. We had a lot of action in this game. Three likes on Miami, Matthew Holt, RJ, and Dave Esler on the Dream Preview. Two likes on the Chargers against the spread, Fezzik on the Dream Preview as well as Rob. And two more likes on the Chargers is a teaser leg. Those came from Fezzik on the Even Money podcast as well as TA. The likes on the Dolphins came when the line was minus two and a half, and we've seen a move against that. Might be related to two defensive starters for the Dolphins going in the reserve COVID-19 list later in the week. Matthew Holt said he likes Miami because Anthony Lynn has a knack for losing close games. RJ said he likes Miami because their defense is legitimately good. Esler echoed that point and also added this is a bad travel spot for the Chargers. And if we look at special teams, Miami ranks number two in DVOA. This could be a sign of Bill Belichick's influence on Brian Flores and the Chargers last in special teams DVOA. Looking at the Chargers side of things against the spread, we've seen a slight line move in favor of those who took the Chargers plus two and a half. Fezzik saying Miami's overrated. He still makes Tua a downgrade from Ryan Fitzpatrick. Thinks the Dolphins have gotten some lucky breaks the last two weeks. And Miami at the skill positions has some injuries. Wide receiver Preston Williams is going to be out. And so will number one running back Miles Gaskin. Rob said while there's a big gap in the one loss record between these two teams, their stats are nearly identical. So he's going to take the points in what he views as a coin flip game.
And if it plays out as a coin flip game going down to the wire, that could work out well for those teasing the Chargers. Fezzik taking them up to plus 8.5, getting a good number earlier in the week, pairing them with the Colts. So that first leg's already come home. He said on the Chargers side of things, they have a penchant for losing close games. And TA pairing the Chargers with Baltimore on Sunday Night Football. I'm also going to be teasing the Chargers. First point I want to make, Miami got another defensive touchdown last week, and that makes it four defense or special teams touchdowns in the last two weeks. If we include one fumble recovery, return to the one to set up the offense for an easy touchdown in week eight, that simply isn't sustainable. And Tua, he made some good plays last week after not having to do much of anything against the Rams in week eight, but Miami was still outgained by 1.3 yards per play in Arizona. And lastly, when we have the chance to bet on Anthony Lynn and the Chargers to find a way to lose a close game, it's probably something we should put in our portfolio. Next game on the board, or I guess we should say off the board, Cincinnati at Pittsburgh, Steelers dealing with some COVID concerns as well as uncertainty around Big Ben's status throughout the week. Moving on, Seattle at the Rams. Rams laying two, total 54.5, and we've seen some two-way action on this one, including best bets going head-to-head. Two likes on the Seahawks on the money line. Drew, this was his best bet on the Matchbook podcast. Rob, also liking Seattle money line on the Matchbook podcast. And two likes on the Rams. Matthew Holt, this was his best bet on the Dream Preview. Fezzik, also liking the Rams. On the Seattle side of things, Drew saying the matchup works out really well for the Seahawks. The stats say the Rams' defense is elite, but that's come against weak opposition. The Seahawks bring a huge step up in class at quarterback and wide receiver. And on the other side of the ball, Drew says the Seahawks' defense is vulnerable deep, but Jared Goff having a short average depth of target, not how you exploit the Seattle secondary. Rob added to this point, noting there are 37 quarterbacks with at least 100 dropbacks this season, and Goff ranks just 25th in EPA per play. On the Rams side of things, Matthew Holt says the Rams logged the most travel in the NFL during the first half of the season, coming in off a much-needed buy in this spot. Fezzik also agreeing it's a good spot for the Rams, and Matthew Holt does give a lot of weight to the defensive stats for the Rams. That's something Drew cautioned against, but part of Matthew Holt's bullishness on the Rams' defense boils down to this week's matchup. Russell Wilson got off to an incredible start to the season, but he's thrown seven interceptions in the last five games, only one game in the last six without an interception, and with cluster injuries at running back for the Seahawks, that offense could be one-dimensional on Sunday. Fezzik's handicap on the Rams, similar to some points I brought up in a look ahead on last week's show. I just think this number's a little bit too spot on to bet on the Rams, but I get the sentiment here. Fezzik saying the last game the Rams played in Miami had a very misleading final. They dominated the stats, but they were done in by three defense or special teams touchdowns by the Dolphins if we include a fumble recovery return to the one. Miami's longest drive in that game was only 33 yards, and I do want to call out we should take these stats with a grain of salt because of the game script, but they were too lopsided to ignore altogether. And Tua was impressive last week at the Cardinals. That makes the Rams' defensive performance in Tua's debut look even better since they held him to less than four yards per drop back. Up next, San Francisco at New Orleans. Saints laying 10 with reduced VIG, total of 49. And we have two likes on the 49ers. RJ, it's his best bet on the Dream Preview, as well as TA. RJ took the Niners at plus 9, so the lines moved against him, but I've got to think he likes them even more with a chance to catch double digits. RJ said after the 49ers beat the Patriots a few weeks ago, he thinks the line for this game would have been the Saints by about 2.5. And And since then, this number should go up, but there's been an overreaction against the 49ers and in favor of the Saints. San Francisco has had some more injuries, and they've suffered two straight blowout losses. Meanwhile, the Saints come in off a blowout win in a marquee matchup on Sunday. Sunday night, but the look ahead for this one just last week was Saints minus six and a half, and RJ thinks that's too big of an adjustment. Fezzik supports this point, noting the 49ers are getting some wide receivers back after they were shorthanded at that position last week. 
TA echoed that sentiment, and RJ also said the 49ers come in with some extra rest off Thursday night football last week, and I'll add for good measure the Saints coming in on relatively short rest after a road game on Sunday night football. Looking at TA's breakdown, he said this is simply an inflated line, and from a matchup standpoint, similar to something Drew brought up in Seahawks-Rams, TA notes Drew Brees has a short average depth of target, and the 49ers defense is vulnerable downfield, but they can handle the short passing game. We saw that when they beat the Rams soundly a few weeks ago. On the deep dive, Drew and Andy also said their secret podcast play, 49ers team total over 20, and I see the logic there, but I like San Francisco plus the points even more. think we have some sound handicaps presented by RJ and TA. Moving on to Sunday Night Football, Baltimore, New England, Ravens laying 7 with some extra vig, total 43.5, and, and we have 4 likes on the Ravens laying the points, Drew, Rob, and Suma making it unanimous on the Matchbook podcast, as well as Fezzik on the Dream Preview. We also had 3 likes using the Ravens as a teaser leg, Fezzik and Ross on the Even Money podcast, along with TA. Looking at the Ravens against the spread, Drew said he expects them to gash the Patriots with their running game. Fezzik and Adam agreed with this point, and Drew said on the other side of the ball, the Ravens' defense should suffocate a weak Patriots offense. Suma supported this point, noting the Ravens are slated to get Marlon Humphrey back, and the Patriots lack options at wide receiver. Drew also said from a future standpoint, this could be a good buy-low spot on Baltimore. They have a lot of high-profile games coming up. In fact, they're going to be on primetime four of the next five weeks, the lone exception next week, but that's a big game also. They'll be hosting Tennessee and then the Ravens have a soft schedule to end the season after that primetime stretch, so it could be a good time to shop lines on some futures, particularly looking out for Ravens at 5-1 to one or better to win the AFC. One more point on Baltimore against the spread in this game, Fezzik noting the look-ahead was minus 6.5, and, and he's not downgrading the Ravens after last week's win, but he does think the Patriots' defense was a big red flag on Monday night at the Jets. And looking at the likes on the Ravens is a teaser leg, Fezzik pairing them with the Colts, Ross pairing them with the Bears, and TA pairing them with the Chargers. Like Fezzik, I've teased the Ravens with the Colts this week, so that first leg's already home. I'll give a short version on the Ravens analysis here. I shared the pick with a bit more of a breakdown on the Doggy Juice podcast to mark Mike's 100th episode this week, and I'm hoping even a little more than usual, the Ravens leg comes home so that Mike and his listeners can celebrate the milestone in style. And quick aside, this week's Doggy Juice pod well worth the listen for Mike's NFL, college football, and Masters insights. So, looking at the Ravens as a teaser here, a big part of my angle, fading the Patriots. It's a short week for them off Monday Night Football, and Cam Newton looked pretty banged up. He had 10 carries on Monday, a lot of them in high leverage, short yardage downs. I expect an aggressive Ravens defense to really get after him, and the Patriots were outgained by more than a yard and a half per play by the Jets of all teams. They were fortunate to win that game. I think it's a good spot to fade New England this week, making Baltimore an appealing teaser candidate. And last but not least, Monday Night Football, Minnesota at Chicago. Vikings laying 2.5 with some extra vig, or 3 with reduced vig, total 43. We had one like on the Bears against the spread, that was from Drew. Two likes on the Bears as a teaser candidate, Andy and Adam. Drew's angle on the Bears plus the points. The look ahead was Chicago minus 2.5, and, and that's now flipped to Minnesota. He sees that as an overreaction, noting the Vikings are reliant on their run game. Chicago has a good rush defense, and the long grass at Soldier Field, plus some nasty weather in the Chicago forecast this weekend, could finally slow down that potent Vikings rush attack led by Dalvin Cook. In terms of teasing the Bears, Andy mentioned this game has a low total, Chicago's defense a step up in class for the Vikings, and overall he sees it as a buy low spot for the Bears and a sell high spot for the Vikings. 
Vikings, Adam also implying earlier in the week that the Bears are a good teaser leg. And I agree for a lot of the reasons that Andy mentioned. Plus, last week the Bears went just 2 for 15 on third down. I think there's a lot of noise in that stat. Chicago still managed to double the Titans in first downs and outgained them by almost a full yard per play. The Bears, though, minus two in turnovers, including a 63-yard fumble recovery return for a touchdown for the Titans. So I think Chicago's due for positive regression when it comes to third down and turnovers. And putting the math to work, like Andy said, there's a low total here. In fact, it's the lowest total on the Week 10 board, and that increases the relative value of each point we get in teasing the Bears up through a touchdown. Alright, so we've made it through the Week 10 board, and if you've been listening for a while, you know what that means. Time for a beer break. Let's dive into what we're drinking. So last week we featured a classic annual rite of passage in Celebration Ale. This week it's an emerging annual rite of passage, Adios Ghost Triple IPA by Monkish Brewing Company out of Torrance, California. Adios Ghost checks in at 10.2% ABV, and I say it's an emerging annual rite of passage because this is the fourth batch Monkish is made, and in recent history they've done it once a year right around this time. The appearance of Adios Ghost, vibrant hazy yellow with an off-white head that leaves some lacing behind. I'll post a photo on Instagram at Props and Hops. And in terms of the aroma and flavor, this beer uses 100% citra hops, and those hops shine like no other. We get pineapple, mango, grapefruit, perfectly balanced tropical and citrus notes with a nice restrained bitterness, the mouthfeel, creamy and smooth. Overall, Adios Ghost goes down in my book as the best triple IPA by the best maker of triple IPAs in Monkish. It's fruity but not too sweet, creamy but not too heavy, easy drinking but still with that nice hot bite you want in an IPA. It's got that balance really dialed in across the board. And Adios Ghost is dangerously drinkable with that 10.2% ABV, so before we get too carried away, probably best to break down the betting card. Let's move on to what we're betting. I'm shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on in here. And as we transition into what we're betting, one thing I want to flag off the top, we won't be banking on big margins without some serious trepidation for a couple Southern California football teams. Starting with the Chargers, Anthony Lynn did it again last week. There's a great breakdown on the Sharp Angles podcast that gets into just how rough it is to watch Anthony Lynn coach the Chargers, and that Sharp Angles breakdown touches on the insanity of not one but two fade routes called to end the game last week. The Chargers now have a 2-6 record with a minus 11 point differential. That's pretty difficult to do. And the guys on Sharp Angles note that Phillip Rivers took so much heat for so long for all his close losses with the Chargers, but we can now rule him out as the common denominator. And I'll add that even in Rivers' allegedly ancient form, he led the Colts to a convincing win last night in Tennessee. This isn't to say Rivers shouldn't shoulder some of the blame for the Chargers' shortcomings while he was their quarterback, but if we look at Justin Herbert now, he's been awesome by all accounts, yet he only has a 1-6 record so far in his rookie season. You can draw a pretty straight line to coaching malpractice. So as far as the Chargers are concerned, I'm reminded of the saying, once is happenstance, twice is a coincidence, the third time it's a pattern. I've lost track of how many times this has happened with the Chargers under Anthony Lynn, but it's beyond a pattern. To me, it's a systemic problem. And speaking of systemic problems, another Southern California football team, the USC Trojans. And yes, for full disclosure, I'm saying this as a USC grad while I record this podcast in my USC pajama pants. The NFL is the focus of this podcast, but I'm open to edges anywhere on the board, and that includes 
includes fading my alma mater when it can be profitable. I'm reminded of a streak David Molinsky and I had when we did the House of Yards podcast together in 2017, when we successfully faded the Trojans for a month straight, and yet three years later, it's crazy to think people are still eager to bet on USC. They had a pretty alarming showing in their season opener last weekend, and with a dramatic comeback win, that could open up some value fading the Trojans yet again moving forward. Looking at turnovers, it's a noisy stat, but not an aberration with USC. Four turnovers last week, that was their 13th game with at least three turnovers since 2017. That's the most in the Pac-12. Clay Helton, the common denominator there. And on special teams, the Trojans had another kickoff go out of bounds. That's a seemingly weekly occurrence under Helton. I don't know why they can't just keep the ball and play on kickoffs. And then on offense, they still can't figure out the zone defense after it gave them fits last season during Graham Harrell's first year as the offensive coordinator. I think the number of third down attempts is a good signal when we want to look at offensive efficiency. Really good offenses can move the chains in one or two plays. But USC had 27 third or fourth down attempts against Arizona State last weekend. That's some pretty telling inefficiency. USC still managed to catch enough breaks to pull out a wild win, but there were tons of red flags along the way. And in the long term, I think the result USC gets is going to align more closely with a very shaky process under Clay Helton. As far as this weekend goes, the Trojans are laying 14 and a half at Arizona. And unfortunately, the Wildcats aren't the type of opponent I want to play on when I'm looking to fade USC. So I'll hope for a comfortable Trojan victory this Saturday, setting up a spot to potentially fade them next week at Utah if the Utes can get their COVID situation under control. It would be USC's second straight road game and a major coaching mismatch with Clay Helton going up against Kyle Whittingham. So to wrap this up, one of the best things about being a sports fan, whether we feel positive or negative about our teams, we can put our money where our mouth is. And now let's put our money toward that Week 10 NFL portal portfolio. Three sides in pocket this week. First one, the Browns hosting the Texans. Going to grade this one at minus three and a half, minus 105. Following the leads of Fezzik, Matthew Holt, RJ, and Rob, the weather's looking like a big factor in Cleveland. That could magnify the value of the rushing offenses, and that favors the Browns. Second side, the Eagles at the Giants, taking them at minus three and a half, minus 105. Following the leads of Fezzik, Drew, and Rob, the Giants due for some negative regression, and the Eagles looking like they'll be healthier off their bye. And the third side this week, the 49ers plus 10 at minus 120 at the Saints, following the leads of RJ and TA. Recency bias looks like it's inflating this line, and the 49ers defense should be okay in this matchup against the Saints' short passing attack. One total in the portfolio as well this week, Broncos Raiders over 50 and a half, good up to 52. That one's got a lot of consensus, Rob, Suma, Drew, Andy, Fezzik, and Ross all liking this one. It comes down to the Raiders having a good offense and a bad defense. That makes them a clear over team. Plus, a recent bad weather game for the Raiders seems to be suppressing this total. Also looking at a teaser this week, let's call it the Props and Hops Doggy Juice Power Teaser, playing my hometown Chargers with Mike's hometown Bears. Chargers up to plus 7.5 at Miami. Bears plus 8.5 hosting Minnesota. On the Chargers side of things, no need for margin or even a win. They just need to keep it close, and as we alluded to earlier, that's what they do best. So even though I'm clearly bearish on the Chargers under Anthony Lynn, they should be able to keep it close in Miami. And speaking of bearish, on the Chicago side of things, the Bears do for some positive regression on third downs and in the turnover department, and with this being the lowest total on the board, that magnifies the relative value of each point, taking the Bears up through a touchdown. Quick note, if you don't have access to get the Chargers up through seven on a six-point teaser, taking the Ravens down to minus one, not a bad alternative. 
And one prop to include for this weekend, Buffalo, Arizona, shortest touchdown under one and a half yards. From a math standpoint, you know the drill. This game has the highest total on the board, and more points increases the probability that we'll see more touchdowns, more touchdowns increasing the probability of at least one one-yard touchdown. From a matchup standpoint, we won on this bet last week in a game involving the Bills. That saw three touchdowns from the one. Buffalo got one passing, one rushing, and their soft rush defense also allowed a score from the one. We've got a similar result on the table this week, and I like that both teams have dual threat quarterbacks that can be very appealing near the goal line. Overall, this prop is kept on cashing consistently this season, and I'll continue to play it as long as it's mispriced. I make this one good up to minus 175. So a rapid-fire recap on this week's bets. The sides, the Browns, Eagles, and 49ers. One total, Broncos Raiders over. One teaser, pairing the Chargers with the Bears. And one prop, Bills Cardinals, shortest touchdown under one and a half yards. All right, and last but not least, the Malinsky Minute. This week's words of wisdom, it's not good or bad, it just is. This is a Zen saying that Dave embodied. He always seemed to be content and present, never phased. He was even keel with a win and graciously accepting of what he coined as the occupational privilege tax when things didn't go his way. And you can bet the occupational privilege tax gonna get its own spotlight in a future Malinsky Minute. When it comes to the notion that it's not good or bad, it just is, I think of this saying in a betting application from just last night. As I mentioned earlier, I had the Colts in a teaser. They were trailing at halftime, and in their first drive of the second half, they converted two fourth downs. That seemed good. Then they got stopped on fourth and goal from the one. That seemed bad. And then their defense got a quick stop. The Titans shanked a punt from their own end zone. The Colts got good field position and scored a touchdown. So that seemed really good. And the process was ultimately rewarded in spite of a bad result along the way, that fourth and goal stop at the one. But that's an emotional roller coaster if you're hanging by every outcome watching that unfold in real time. I think the best thing we can do as bettors is do our best to watch and analyze games objectively, trying to filter out our bets and the bias that comes with them. This can help us get a clear perspective and uncover more edges moving forward. For example, instead of criticizing the Colts last night for not taking the points when they could have kicked a short field goal, or being mad when they got stopped at the one, the prudent thing to do as a better was probably to notice Frank Reich was making optimal decisions time after time, and that could uncover some betting edges moving forward. Maybe look toward the Colts side of games when in doubt in the future, or consider props such as punts to go under or shortest touchdowns to go under one and a half yards in future Colts games. And beyond betting, I think there are way more life applications to this quote. Now, I know a lot of things happen that do seem patently good or bad, and I don't want to diminish the significance of those instances, but a lot of times something happens and our natural knee-jerk reaction is to label it as good or bad, but what's good today might be bad tomorrow and vice versa. We're almost always working with incomplete information. We can't really tell if things are good or bad, and that's okay. We don't need to label them. We just need to accept them for what they are. So instead of striving for good or looking to avoid bad, I think the best thing we can do is strive for objectivity and clarity, trusting that in the long run, that's going to move us in the direction of good. And that'll do it for this week's episode of Props and Hops. Thank you so much for listening. I hope doing so has moved your day and your Week 10 portfolio in the direction of good. And if you found any value in this podcast, please share it with a friend who could benefit as well. One quick programming note, I dropped a bonus episode earlier this week all about sports betting legalization in a great conversation with attorney and host of the Doggy Juice pod, Mike Roselli. It seemed like a great time to do a deep dive on the current state of affairs after last week's elections moved the ball forward in some states. So if you're interested in what's going 
going on with sports betting legalization, I think you'll get a lot out of listening to that conversation. For now, let's get out there and enjoy Week 10 in the NFL along with the Masters. It's shaping up to be a sports weekend unlike any other. We'll be back at it next Friday for Week 11, and until then, let's bet well, let's drink well, and let's be well. Thank you.